0: You're listening to Road to CEO, nothing but in-depth interviews with executives about their journeys as CEO. I'm your host Will Marlowe and I hope you enjoy the show. Um, I'm really excited for today's episode of Road to CEO. Ah, uh, when I first decided to do a show about CEOs, about their journeys in business, Brett Peters was on my list of of people that I wanted to have on, and so now here he is. Brett is the CEO of ADF Solutions, which is a digital forensic technology company. We're going to learn all about that, but first, Brett, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, it's it's great to be here. Well, always love spending
1: time with you and. Uh uh i'm jealous of your hair what can i say
0: (laughs) well you know what i'll tell you this may be the last episode where i have hair this long i'm i'm possibly going to be going to be cutting it so all right Uh, just don't go to my barber
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: i you know i did have short hair at one point um not not quite as short as yours but uh but it was uh it was getting there That's all right. You know, we we you have to guys like
1: me with this haircut. You know, you got to make ball jokes, right? So go for it. Let them them loose.
0: (laughs) Well, so uh, thanks again for being here. Um, Why don't we jump right in? I'd love to hear about you know your journey to the company you're at now. Uh, You've had some really interesting experiences, though. I'd love to to actually start at the beginning because you worked at a company that I'm familiar with, having grown up in the DC area. But but very far in my opinion from the technology field which is where i think you know you've been in for a long time you know you started out i think at fresh fields market is it
1: yes yeah going that's uh back in the back in the early 90s uh and and it was even funny how i got there because uh when i you know so i'll, I'll start to you out kind of with my education i i when i graduated high school i just i didn't i wasn't ready to go to college i wasn't thinking like hey this is something I want to do. I think I, you know, kind of uh, phoned it in in terms of the to filling out applications and things like that. But once my friends all started going to college, I was like, you know, they're not around here. It's different than what I expected. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I, you know, at that point, I was a little late. So I enrolled in uh, community college and uh, that was a great experience. I loved it. Uh, and, you know, of course, you have to pick what you want to study. And they had a, I went to Northern Virginia Community College. They had, mm-hmm an amazing criminal justice, um, uh, program. And, uh, so this kind of ties back into where I am today. So we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll talk about this and then sort of fast forward. But, uh, so I, I studied criminal, I got involved in criminal justice. I, I really, at the time hadn't really planned on, on, uh, going into a career involving criminal justice. Uh, but as I, as I studied, you know, and then I, and I, I got my associate's degree and then I transferred to George Mason. And of course, if you if you keep it kind of in the same uh you know ballpark, most of your transfer, your credits transfer. So yeah. I didn't want to didn't really, you know, want to be in in school, uh, which is ironic now because I teach uh <laughs> for a university. But uh I was uh, you know, the thing is I loved the professors we had. They were a lot of like former FBI agents, ATM mm-hmm. like that. And so it was really engaging content. And when I transferred to Mason, I I also studied kind of administration of justice. So I had this sort of justice mindset. It was kind of as you go through, you're like, all right, what am I going to do? So my skills were applicable to sort of criminal justice. uh, And and that's then I thought, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll go into that field. Uh, But I I met my wife uh, in in college or the woman who uh, became my wife. And uh, she wasn't really interested in marrying a guy who was kind of interested in that field too much. So I, I started looking around and I didn't, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I took a, a job when I first got out, I worked for a nonprofit, uh, had a, had a great experience. We did a lot of work up on Capitol Hill, uh, which gave me a lot of, uh, really great experience, uh, doing events planning. It was kind of an environmental organization. And then, uh, from there, I, I I did you know I got involved with Earth Day, uh, 1990, uh, which uh, was fun, but again short term project. And so I was kind of just trying to get my get my wheels uh, underneath me. And uh, so then I had a not somebody referred me to. I, I was really into creating content back then, which was you know pre internet. So interesting. Creating content was mostly it would be magazines or videos. So I did you know I I would I would write some articles for. For uh, for some various magazines, uh, and I got referred to go uh, work for uh, a publication called Vegetarian Times Magazine. And so I, I worked for the owner. Uh, you know, was planning to move to Chicago. Uh, went out there for three months, and uh, right as I was about to move, my wife and we were going to move to Chicago. Uh, he he sent me down. and he said, "Hey, Brett, I'm selling the company," and I said, "Well, you know, that doesn't necessarily sound great for me." Uh, you know, kind of last hired, first fired. So I was like, ah, let me like, you know, pull the plug on this move here. And I I, I came back and uh, within a, a couple of weeks, we were shopping at Fresh Fields, which uh, probably if you're not from the D.C. or kind of East Coast area, you might not know. Uh, people might not know what that is, but it's a natural foods market that uh, ultimately end up getting purchased by Whole Foods. And, uh, and I, I was shopping there and I met the manager and we started talking and he's like, hey, you should apply for a job here. And so I applied for a job and I ended up getting hired to manage all the cashiers and front end and uh, the baggers and all that other stuff. Uh, and, and it was a ton of fun. Um, and so that's really helped me out. And so that, that experience uh, really gave me a lot of good education around cash and cash management. Uh, and, uh, and also just customer experience, customer service at, at, you know, because you're really right in front of the customers and you're under high pressure situations. If you ever go through the supermarket, how, how, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you're actually dealing with a human anymore at supermarkets, you got to make sure you're, you're nice to those people because those numbers spinning around in their heads, um, it is pretty, it's pretty funny, uh, to, to think about all the codes you have to learn, but, uh, so that's, that's, you know, I was with uh, Freshfields for uh, quite a few years and uh, we actually were named, in 1993, we were named Money Magazine uh, Store of the Year. One of the coolest experiences there in terms of like learning about being a CEO is, uh, you know, obviously we had a CEO and we had a head of operations. I learned a lot from them, um, but the one of the influences that I thought was pretty cool is I got to spend a little bit of time with Leo Kahn. So Leo, for those that don't know him, he actually founded uh, Staples. He was co-founder of Staples. So most people know Staples. Right. And uh, and he was at the time I met him, he was in his mid seventies. And he and his wife would come into the store, and they would get behind, they would roll up their sleeves, and they would just get in and do it. So it really, uh, I don't remember who uh, coined the term. I don't. I don't think it was him. It might have been a peer of mine. Uh, there but uh, you know we, we had this idea of uh, of getting an MBA so when you work you know you, when you work like that you have an MBA right which is which really means mop bucket attitude and so the mop bucket attitude is just something I take with me everywhere I go it's like hey you got to pitch in and do the hard work sometimes so um, that's that's sort of uh, fresh we can go on from there that's but great I'll, I'll, yeah
0: when yeah one of my first jobs actually I think my very first job was at a a a deli called the italian store which was in arlington virginia yeah great place um they great subs, great pizza, you know, really just authentic, you know, they import a lot of good stuff from Italy. Um, And I remember it was the same kind of thing, though, where the managers would lead from the front, the owner would lead from the front, you know, you would see them all doing good hard work and doing the things they were asking everybody to do and doing it really well. And I just remember being impressed that that uh, ethic really kind of started at the top, and then it would just kind of go down from there. And, uh, you know, the it, it really elevated the quality of work that new hires would. I mean, I saw that firsthand, and, and I always took that with me as well.
1: It, it's so true. And uh, it, you have to do things you don't want to do, right? Yeah. As a leader, you have to do things you don't want to do. And, you know, I've been a vegan for 30 some years. And uh, so, but I'd have to get behind the meat counter, behind the seafood counter, and you, you know, you have to do things you don't want to do, and 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 you had to put a, put aside even maybe personal beliefs to to serve the customer. Yeah. Um, so that was a great experience, yeah. to me. And, I, and I and I really the thing is I, I I saw the way that the people around you they they would respect the fact that you were willing to do any job, taking out the trash, yeah. you know, mopping up the floor, whatever it might be, and that was something I saw in, in Leo. Um, you know, and and some of the other leaders at at the organization that really uh, helped me grow. And so I very quickly uh, went from managing the front end to leading a store to leading the entire Mid-Atlantic region. And we grew from three stores, uh, one in Rockville, one in Bethesda, one in Tyson's. So I managed a Tyson store and then then I took over the region. So I was um, managing the entire uh, Maryland, D.C., Virginia region. Uh, as we grew the company into yeah. stores, and, and it ultimately ended up getting uh, bought by by, um, by Whole Foods Market, and you know, I, I thought about uh, looking at that transition, but you know, I had a, a young kid at the time, and uh, I love I love spending time with him, but working retail is not always conducive to that. A lot of weekends, yeah. a lot of nights, and even though I loved it. Um, and I still shop at Whole Foods Market. Uh, my yeah. sister works there, so uh, she's been. She just celebrated her 25th anniversary uh, uh-huh.
0: there, I think, and gets her lifetime discount. So a little go <laughs> of that. But yeah, that's nice. Um, so how did how did you become a vegan? Are you, I, I didn't realize you'd been a vegan for 30 years.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was funny. Uh, I blame my brother-in-law. Uh, so <laughs> my wife never never liked the taste of meat. And so when we first got married, we were very young when we got married, you know, 20 and 21. Uh, I'm older. Uh, but uh, she would, you know, she was very good cook, but she'd cook steak and she'd cover it in A1 sauce. And I was like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, you don't want to I don't you don't want to taste the meat. I'm like, yeah, I want to taste the meat. But, uh, you know, after after uh, when you get married, you kind of settle in, you get comfortable. Yeah. And uh, I, I uh, we gained a little bit of weight. And then my brother-in-law also got married about the same time, kind of same thing. He's like, I'm thinking about going on a diet. You want to join me? And I'm like, sure, I'll, you know, whatever. He goes, I heard this thing, you go two weeks, you know, eating plants uh, and uh, you, you you can shed some pounds. I'm like, I can do anything for two weeks. Let's try it. And I asked a friend who I knew was vegetarian. I said, hey, tell me about being a vegetarian. He goes, well, I can tell you, everything, but you know, th- you're better off reading this book. And the book was, uh, by John Robbins, the son of Baskin Robbins, ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't teach me how to be a vegetarian. What it did is it taught me uh, why I should be a vegetarian. And it really just kind of went through all of the reasons, you know, uh, human health, uh, yeah. world hunger, animal, uh, welfare, uh, environment, et cetera. And I was like, oh, I'll try it. And then I just kind of never looked back. So, uh, but I really, you know, I, I, I do it for a combination of uh, the animals and and the environment and my health.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Did your brother-in-law stay uh, vegan? No. No, so it's just... you. No, no, no. but you know, the,
1: the, the hard thing is, is that uh, the rest of his family, uh, they're, they all are largely vegetarian. And so that probably makes it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I know he uh, is out eating steaks for lunch, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at home, they have a lot of vegetables. Okay, okay. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a personal journey for everybody. I, I used to be a lot more uh, of, a, of a rabid, uh, you should be a vegan, you know, and, uh, you know, as I get older, I'm like, everybody has to make their own uh, choice in life. And, uh, yeah. or, you know, the thing I'm excited about is uh, I was at a coffee shop yesterday. I was asking about something uh, vegan and he's like, oh, you're a vegan. I said, yeah, it's been, you know, 30 some years. He says, well, you know how how did how did you do that i'm like i have no idea cuz you know back then there weren't any of these uh right. amazing uh you know meat like products which which most of them taste pretty good actually
0: i've had a number of them recently they what do they call it beyond beyond, beyond meat, meat now impossible burger yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah those are getting pretty good yeah 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 um, yeah, I imagine it was probably difficult back then uh, I mean, now, you know, you can find information on all kinds of different, uh, uh diets and everything. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I imagine that was a lot of effort back then to really kind of figure out it, how to, I do mean, it. The,
1: the, you know, the good thing is I think working in, uh, working at Freshfields, I was yeah. able to pick up dinner and take it home. Sure, right, sure. a, lot of, a lot of great stuff. So all right. when I left there, you know, and so, and so what I did when I left is, you know, I mean, and we were running at, at the time. You know, just my three the three main stores that I had, they were each doing about twenty million dollars a a year, and that was back in uh, the the mid you know early nineties. Yeah. So these were these were very very productive stores, and anybody that had been in you know they were very tiny as well. The footprint was very small compared to what they are today. Uh, But you know, really, that's where I really got educated about profit and loss and. Interesting. Um, shrinkage and 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 just, yeah. you know the whole m- movement of money and money management um, that was a, a different sort of MBA for me, yeah. right? To really get that t- that level of education. Um, and the other interesting thing was, you know, we used to gather. Uh, the, the corporate headquarters was in Rockville, and the CEO would gather us all, all of the department heads or, or vice presidents together. Uh, I, I think it was about once a week where we'd get together and we had this big, you know, conference room and there were probably 40 of us sitting around the table. Um, and, you know, I, I learned, uh, I learned a lot from those conversations and they weren't all good, right? They weren't all good. Um, I, I never had any issues, but I saw people get called out uh, in, in different forms. And and yeah. it really taught me to about, you know, really kind of reinforce the value of kindness um, hmm. and, and, and the importance of, of kindness in business, uh, and, kind of a lot more fun if you're yeah. nice people. So,
0: yeah. So, so, so talk to me a little bit about that. So it sounds like, you know, at those meetings, people maybe would be called out maybe in an unkind way to try to motivate them, I'm assuming, or, yeah, you know, yeah, that was kind yeah, of the you, intention, perhaps.
1: That's the intention, right? I think, uh, you know, as, and I think you know you've talked about this on some of your other podcasts. Again, part of it depends on where the money's coming from to run the business yeah. and what the intention is, right? So if you're if you're funded uh, by sources that want their money back quickly, yeah. uh, they're they're going to get impatient. Yeah. Uh, and so and and as a CEO, one of the things you want to generally do as a CEO is you want to try to grow your company. So if you're growing your company, you're a lot of times you're spending money. And as an investor, they want to see that return, and they're not always as patient, or may not they may not match your vision for making sure that that growth is is um, tempered the way that yeah. they want it to. It's either maybe it could be too slow, it could be too fast. So there's, I think it it brings um, you know a, a thought to mind, which is you really have to be aligned with whoever you report to, right? Yeah, you know that that's the key thing, and and. And even if I, I, you know, I think that probably they tried and they just, you know, there. sometimes you just don't have a, a match there. Yeah. Um, and that's probably what happened. Um, so I so I left there, um, you know, on great terms. Um, my plan was to go, you know, go into the restaurant business, which kind of was counterproductive to what I was thinking about of not wanting to work nights and weekends. Right. And once I thought more about that, I was like, ah. That not uh not gonna do that. My brother-in-law was uh in the insurance business. So I, I went and I worked with his agency for uh a few years and, and it was great, you know. Becoming a licensed agent, uh really enjoyed serving people and helping them protect their 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 property and their families and things like that. But but I remember this was this would have been, you know, mid 90s, 94, 95, somewhere around there. And uh, I'd have people come in and they would say, I, I, hey, Brad, I got this quote on the Internet. Can you beat it? And I was like, what the heck is an Internet? Right. What the heck is an Internet? That was probably the the most important question I ever asked myself. Right. And uh, so I I researched I went and back then you had to go kind of I because I didn't really know that much about the Internet went on to newspaper I'm like let me find a job doing something in the internet and I I found a job at that I applied for at PSInet yeah. and uh so this was one of the early internet companies they laid fiber and stuff like that and I went to I you know I got hired and I went to work for them and the first two weeks I probably learned more in those first two weeks than I did in four years of college just in terms of things that I needed to use in my in my the life skills that I needed for the next 25 years of business yeah. Um, and, uh, just learned, they just did a brain dump. The guy was an amazing trainer, told us everything we needed to know about the internet. And, you know, I, I, I it was a call center type experience. It was, it was not fun. It was not, it was, not, it was call counting, uh, hardcore tele, sales. And, uh, you know, you're, you're selling internet, uh, connectivity and
0: websites to people that also hadn't heard about the internet. Right. So okay, so that's fascinating to me because I so I one of my very early experiences was was co-founding a software company that served universities, and this was back. It was at the time it was kind of cutting edge. It was friend to friend fundraising, and you know now of course there's Kickstarter, there's there's all kinds of crowdfunding options, but back then there wasn't anything like that. And so I did have an experience of really selling something that people you had to educate them on. What 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 it was, and you know why it benefited them, and and it was, it, you know, it, it, parts of it were a grind. You know, it was really just very difficult, but at the same time, it built some skills and some muscles. I think. Mm-hmm. That- really served me well after that, you know, I, I, and I would not sacrifice that experience. Like if I could go back and, and do something different, I absolutely would just stay the course and and give myself that approximately it was about a year where I had to just grind out these sales calls to hire in the higher ed market. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, I got some sales, but, but it was tough. It was tough. And
1: I, I tell you that, that slice of time, I was only there for five months um, I got recruited, basically a, a kind of a, a friend, uh, had heard, he he approached me. He's like, Hey, I, I heard your, uh, I heard you are in the internet business. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I heard you're in, in sales. And I'm like, I am. And he's like, well, I, I have an investment in this small little internet company down in DC and they're look, they don't have a salesperson and they, and they, you know, love, I'm sure they'd love to talk to you. So I, I went down and, and uh, talked to this company named Figleaf Software and um, took a job with them as the first salesperson and then grew the company, spent 20 years there. So ultimately, you know, I really, uh, you know, I led not only uh, started sales, but then grew the sales team and uh, led the sales team throughout my career there and, and left uh, when we sold the company, I was chief marketing officer. Um, so I, I spent probably a lot, you know, I was always doing sales and marketing, but then I really started focusing on marketing, um, while still managing the sales team. And that, that was, you know, it was just shy of, of, uh, 20 years Wow! Um, and just a great, great experience. Although, you know, lots of ups and downs along the
0: way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, tell, tell me about that. So that one was a, so actually that's where you and I met, I think You, you were with fig leaf at that point when we, when we connected, um, what did you learn there what was it what was it what, what was it like at fig Leaf because and you were a partner yeah, um, yeah. yeah. so I, di- I didn't start out as a partner and one of the things
1: I think is interesting for your listeners is you know how do you so a lot of the people you interview they started the company right I'm, I, I think maybe I'm a little bit more of a journeyman CEO right a little bit a uh, longer road I, 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 uh, I'm by nature somewhat risk averse. So, I don't, I'm kind of conservative in that way that I don't, I like risk, but I, it's usually fairly calculated. And uh, I, I just never had the desire to kind of go start my own company, but I love, uh, I love, you know, building companies, I love building things and, and, and serving people and things like that. So, um, when, when we started the, you know, I, when I started the company, they were just doing website development. And again this was 1995 1996 so really you know very very early on mostly brochure type sites but uh, my co-found the co-founders at that time they had it was really interesting how they started the company they they were two college kids that they'd come out of college at University of Maryland they were they somehow got they liked using this product called cold fusion um, and it was a programming language. Uh, it's still in use today. It's not popular, but similar to the PHP uh, or, or .NET in, in a lot of ways. It was a tag-based programming language, and they—this uh, was uh, Steve Drucker and, and Dave Watts—and they actually ended up uh, co-authoring a book with a guy named Ben Forda. And so the three of them, they wrote this book. Well, two of them ended up starting Figleaf, and um, so as that, you know, as they got started, they writing this book they would have user groups where they would kind of vet the material which was a really cool way to kind of get feedback from the community and 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 also learn at the same time so you know i was joining this company that had this idea of collaborating with with users and then also as they learned things they started teaching the users so they very quickly became experts and they started teaching it and the the the, um, the original company, was it was uh, called Allaire and it ended up getting bought by Macromedia, which got bought by Adobe. So kind of all these roll-ups, but they became a certified trainer for this product, ColdFusion. Mm-hmm. And, and the product got adopted by government and the government started spent sending a ton of people to training. So over the years, and we, we ended up representing you know, Adobe and Google and HubSpot and others. But we trained about 35,000 students um, in web design and web development technologies.
0: That's awesome. I don't know if that, that probably didn't answer your question. No, I did. It did answer my question. Um, yeah. Um, and it's interesting that is, is that the second company you were with that? Was acquired by it was it basically was successfully exited like that. Yeah, it was. So at
1: Freshfields uh, was and so one of the great things about it, you know, we we because I was early on, we had stock and and uh, so that was a great experience for me. We you know I was able to to make some money, buy a house, um, and you know of course <laughs> the funny thing was with Fig Leaf is we thought, hey, this is going to go faster, right? This is uh, this is before the dot com uh boom and then also the dot com bust and so uh we we really thought you know there were companies like razorfish that went fast and and you know just that we we didn't have that experience we had plenty of ups and downs along the way but we were doing great work i mean we we actually we built and maintained all 500 national park service websites uh which wow. was a pretty cool project we did uh lots of lots and lots of government sites, universities, commercial sites. So it was building websites, but these were dynamic websites. So it was, it was uh, sometimes the design and the development, sometimes just the development. Um, And one of the, you know, really, uh, I think one of the best experiences I had there was, you know, we had built a business of uh, a training business, which was only, you know, at its biggest point was about maybe 30% of our revenues. So it would kind of go up and down. So as people, uh would learn to do you know learn to do web programming, and then they would kind of uh, hire web programmers and then they learn to do it and then you know, it's a kind of market driven. But uh, we had built a really successful business with uh, training for Macromedia and Adobe. And uh, I we had some interest from my colleagues, my partners, to uh, do some work with Google. And so I reached out, I I tracked down, uh, you know, who the guy was, who was in charge of Google training. And I ended up, you know, I went out to to Mountain View and met with him. And I said, listen, you know, tell me about your training department. He said, well, it's just me. And I said, well, that doesn't sound like it's going to scale very well. He's like, it it probably won't. And I said, well, do you have plans to add other trainers? He's like, well, we're, you know, we're still thinking about how we're going to do that. I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you let us, we already have this, experienced training. Why don't you let us be your trainer? And so he was very skeptical. <laughs> and I said, Hey, just give us a shot, right? Give us a shot. And I was lucky enough to work with, you know, some pretty brilliant, uh, technologists. And so, uh, we, we, you know, we picked a guy to, to, you know, go get trained, Dave Galarizzo, He was, uh, one of the partners and he went and got trained and they loved him. And so then he, you know, we said, "Hey, look, you love him. We got another guy also named Dave. Let's uh, let's get him trained." And so uh, we end up getting, uh, you know, a handful of people trained. And the agreement, they wouldn't sign an exclusive agreement with us, which was a little frustrating because, you yeah. know, that was we thought we had the the credibility to do that, but you know, they're Google, right? So, uh, but we had sort of a gentleman's agreement. I said, "Listen, if if you will promise to communicate." openly with us about, you know, what we do right and what we do wrong, we will make sure we'll take any of your feedback. And, and if we have to fix something, we'll fix it. And so we ended up you know, we were Google's number one enterprise training partner and did all of their overseas partner enablement for uh, more than a decade. Wow. It was,
0: it, was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So uh, you you've had, so you've kind of brought us up through your experience with fig leaf and you've made a couple comments that, you know, give me a, a sense of the importance you place on company culture. Um, I've heard of the, I think it's called the culture code, right? Is it, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So
1: I, I learned about culture code from HubSpot and uh, that was the first time I got exposed to it and, you know, reading the HubSpot culture and, and, and I, I saw a culture with Google, uh, from my you know exposure to working with them, and and of course you know Adobe and and Macromedia, the other companies we had worked with, they had a culture, but I don't know that it was really fully documented. Well, Google yeah. somewhere along the way, when documented their culture, they had the idea of do no evil. Um, I think it's changed now. Uh, I, I you know uh, people have their opinions about them, right? right. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. But uh, but you know HubSpot they I started working with them it's it's been about 10 years uh and I kind of just accidentally ended up bumping into them I, I was invited by one of our other partners to go speak at a conference up in Boston and I saw this orange I was in this you know I went up there just to deliver this speech and fly back the same day and I said what's all this orange going around oh that's HubSpot like don't you know and I didn't it was you know this would have been what uh you yeah, know 2011 and um so as I kind of met the people at HubSpot, I really liked them. They were kind of cool. And somewhere along the way, they documented their culture code. And anyway, it turns out, I think Netflix was really the first one yeah. to do it. Uh, and I I really give all these, these companies credit for spending the time to document it. They're all super long. They're all like 100 yeah. plus pages of, of words and images and things like that. We boiled ours down to... 14 slides.
0: Nice. And I'm
1: really proud of that fact (laughs) that it's impressive. I'm not brief. I'm not, I don't have brevity, but our our slides do. (laughs) Um, So the way we did it, and I highly encourage anybody that uh, is thinking about this for their company to, to, you know, welcome to check out the one, you know, ADF uh, solutions culture code, but, you know, look, look and see what's out there. There's a lot of companies that have now done this um, and, the idea is we put really into practice we first we surveyed all of our team members and we said you know what are important what's important to you mm-hmm. what are the words you would use to describe the company what types of people when you're thinking about hiring what type of people do you want to bring on board and so and i can get in later to what we do as a company you know digital forensics but we have a lot of sort of uh, we have a lot of retired law enforcement um, and, and people that are kind of interested in, in our mission of helping stop human trafficking and child exploitation and cybercrime and you know counterterrorism things like that. So this culture emerged. That, that it was interesting. The we we took the results and and some of them we put in a word cloud and we started seeing these these uh, words uh, come together and evolve. And you know, one of them, there were things like growth mindset, communication, um, integrity, um, leadership—a lot of buzzwords. But uh, the we we codified those and we said, all right, this is who we're going to be as a company. And when we hire, we always share that information before we hire, and we let people know this is what we expect of our team members. And you know, what do you think about it? One of the things we actually ask our our new, the prospects that we're thinking about hiring, we ask them to go read that. Yeah. And one of the, one of the hiring uh, things that we do is we ask them to to tell us about you know what, what there resonates with them.
0: Yeah. I think that's great. Um, and I, so I was inspired some years ago by the Netflix culture deck. Um, I think that was, that must've been the first place that I had ever seen a culture document really, you know, put at least one that was really accessible and yeah you know and and, and kind of easy but it was i remember it being like 100 pages long so so i i said that said i went out and i i put in the time and i produced my own it was it was about 70 pages <laughs> um they were not detailed slides it was it was very brief slides but it was still 70 slides um i've recently gone back and i've trimmed it down or consolidated it really to 40 slides so i'm not quite at, at your level with 14 but it's it's i don't know
1: what the right number is yeah but no i don't either the, the cool thing is we came up with an acronym for like all of the the the, the bullet points so uh it, the the acronym spells out to legend Nice. And, uh, so it's like lead and learn engage and energize you know nice. it goes down the list Love but it. uh so when you know when when people do a great job and we and i'm lucky i work with just a, a phenomenal team and uh, you know, the, the, I really work with legends. Yeah, you know, these these people are uh, doing great things, and and so that just calls out. It sort of just circles back to, hey, when you get this feedback from customers, you really are mm-hmm. a legend. I mean, this is stuff that's that's sinking into their memory from the experience and the, yeah. uh, the great products that you develop and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know that it's been really helpful for for my company as we've grown in terms of because we do the same thing we we want anybody who's applying for the job to go through the culture deck and we want to know if it resonates with them but really what we say is you know this is both for us and for you you know we want you to be happy here and the fact is is if somebody doesn't if this doesn't resonate with you then you might not end up being happy here because this is that you know these are the traits that everybody here more or less really shares and you know the idea is that you don't want that you want that to come naturally so yeah that's that's how we yeah yeah.
1: and and I think where it can help you I don't know if you've used it in this fashion but if you have sometimes you know you have friction between people and and everybody especially when you're growing people that are driven And sometimes there can be some miscommunication and rather than calling that person out, you can just kind of gently like this, this does, you know, this kind of behavior, not, not you, but this type of behavior doesn't really fit with the culture. Right. So it's kind of referring back to that document and it doesn't maybe a little nicer way
0: to, to
1: you know, help kind of yeah. course correct?
0: Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I also started doing, um, I, vol- I volunteer as a wrestling coach um, and, you know, we're putting together a, a good program for high school kids in this area, in the, the Arlington, Virginia area. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I also put together a, a handbook. I don't call it a culture document for them, but I did put together a, a, a handbook for them. And and you're right, it's all about those expectations so that you can so you can point to this and say like, you know, this is something where this is not arbitrary. This is not an opinion. This is, you know, this is something that we want to, you know, whether it's a value or a rule or whatever it is, you know, I I found it really is helpful to have that documented before uh, maybe and if it's a negative interaction, before a negative interaction takes place, it's nice to have all that stuff documented.
1: I, I agree. Yeah. I, I think just given it's guidance that yeah. uh, just helps everybody know sort of what's expected. And you know, if you if a company has the opportunity to pull that information from team members, I mean, I think that also helped with, you know, for us, because it wasn't one person or one department saying this is what we, this is the edict of what our culture is. It was like, hey, everybody, like, what do you think? What what do you think it is? What do you think it's been? what do you think isn't working what do you think we should fix and and what what's the kind of the be all ultimate of, of where you want it to be and it t- sort of takes on a life of its own
0: yeah so i'd love to get into adf solutions and hear you know what's adf solutions all about what kind of business is it yeah. um and hear a little bit of the background on that
1: yeah it's it's a cool uh it's a cool company i'm just really uh i feel you know lucky to be involved uh and and, and blessed to be ceo so uh, I joined, so after FigLeaf, I, I I joined the company as head of marketing mm-hmm. and I really didn't care about title. So I, you know, I was, I was chief marketing officer at FigLeaf and then I was just like, all right, well, what, what do I want to do next? Um, and uh, I, I just by happenstance came across this company. We found each other and I, I think I was a bit of a unicorn, right? Because I had this deep software experience and marketing experience. And I studied criminal justice and that was really a passion of mine, uh, but I had never put it into play. And they were looking for somebody who was great at marketing and who could help lead the company in in some fashion. Uh, I, you know, again, it wasn't in my mind to be CEO at that point. Um, I was just going to come on and contribute and uh but I had this, you know, really strong passion and desire to help in this industry. And then this this sort of software and marketing experience. And so uh, I started out as head of marketing, then took over managing the sales team as well. And then within about a year and a half, uh, my boss came to me and said he was kind of looking to step back. And I give him immense credit for um handed over the reins to me. Uh, it, it was a, probably a six-month negotiation process to where I was comfortable taking it on. And of course, I took it on uh, August of 2019. And then within six months, uh, COVID arrived, right? So it really, it was it was like, welcome to being CEO. Here's your challenge. Uh, so, um, But in terms of who the company is and what we do, uh, the, the full name of the company is Advanced Digital Forensic Solutions. Uh, our co-founders had a lot of expertise in image analysis and image recognition. Uh, they realized that, uh, these, this image recognition could be used to help fight child exploitation. And so about 16 years ago, they got funding from the university of Maryland. They got a grant to actually sort of build some software to do this. And they found a funder, uh, who had, uh, who had done pretty well for himself. And but he basically said, hey, if you get some outside funding from a from a public entity, uh, I'll, I'll give you some more money to get started. And that's really how the company got going. And um, the, the really cool thing about it, so at FigLeaf, I was, uh, it, we were almost exclusively US-based, uh, all the work we did. And this is international. And that was overnight, just, you know, I, I love it. I love it. Uh, it makes the days longer, but I get to deal with uh, really awesome people around the world. And so we we provide these uh, the, these evidence, this It's rapid evidence analysis. So collection and analysis and reporting uh, of digital evidence for frontline workers or uh, it can be used back in the lab as well. So a typical user would be in a in a counterterrorism. Uh, type operation might be a military operator that's forward deployed in a law enforcement setting, which majority of our customers are law enforcement. They're using it uh, either in the forensic lab to uh, as they pull in uh, evidence, they're they're looking to quickly see which ones are the ones that they have to pay the most attention to, or if it's out in the field, if they're going out uh, to uh, on, on a search warrant or they have some reason to search for digital evidence, they will uh, deploy us to quickly, within a couple minutes, start finding digital evidence on a, on a phone or uh, a tablet or a computer. And so the result of that is, you know, it, it really can put a dent in uh, human trafficking cases, in fraud cases, in uh, domestic cases. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, uh, one of the,
0: the biggest things that we help fight is child exploitation. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, it's such important work. Uh, have you, do you ever work with nonprofits as well? Because I know there's some nonprofits like international justice mission. Yes. They will, you know, they'll, they'll do some of that work as well.
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, we know them well and, uh, we're real, we actually work really well together. They, they have offices around the world. Yeah. Uh, They have access to our tools and our training and, uh, we've got a really good relationship with them. We work with, uh, an organization named Project Vic, which is they actually uh, a r- really interesting story um, where the and, and I'd be happy to introduce you to this guy. He was a New Jersey state trooper and he realized that the databases that collect uh, uh, child exploitation material to to hash it. So they don't yeah. they want to send this around anywhere else that it's already once it's found, mm-hmm. they catalog it. And they they use a hash uh, set to actually identify that's basically like a fingerprint Okay. That if it shows up anywhere else. It's, it's known child exploitation material. Okay. And so he realized that uh, every country was doing their own. And so he founded an organization that helps uh, all around the world find and catalog these images so that people wow. don't continue to be victimized. Um, so wow. great, you know, and, and and so our the officers that use our tool, they yeah. pull hash the sets in, and if they're going out on site, they can instantly find if somebody has this on the machine or on their phone.
0: I see, fascinating. So this seems like this would be a immensely growing. Industry, like you know, I mean, just by the nature of the evolution of technology, the, the huge problem that you're fighting against, mm-hmm. and the fact that I would think I mean, it sounds like we're getting better at coordinating between countries and that sort of thing. Is that what you're finding? Is this industry rapidly growing?
1: It, it is rapidly growing, uh, and and it's you know, it, it, we're on the edge of cyber, so some of what we do is, is kind of more uh cyber related, but the forensic. Again, forensic evidence, it, it's uh, kind of like CSI, right? You have a chain of custody, so everything has to be managed properly so the, the, that it goes from the time it's uh, collected to the time it's analyzed and reported. And so uh, the pandemic has not been easy for law enforcement. Right. There are obviously um, a lot of real concerns uh, by good people around the world in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything else that is being brought to light in terms of uh, social justice issues that have to be addressed. Um, but what that causes is, you know, morale can be low in police departments. Uh, they don't have, they, they, some of them for, you know, weeks or months on end, they weren't able to report to work. You can't, you know, some of these images and things like that, that they're combating some of the work they have to do, they can't do it from home. Right. And you wouldn't want to do it from home, right? Yeah. Uh, these people have families too. and they're you know these are great, you know majority of them are great humans who yeah. are sacrificing a lot of mental uh, you know capacity and, and causing even themselves even mental harm sometimes to, to, to help combat this. But you're right, Digital evidence is growing and the need for these tools is is yeah. growing dramatically.
0: Yeah, I have a friend who's a prosecutor uh in the in the area and you know she has told me how with COVID, you know there's this huge backlog now of cases that need to be tried, you know the the logistics of trying court cases and and prosecuting criminals is immensely more challenging than it was before. And separately from that, she also said on child exploitation cases, you know there's a limited amount of time when somebody can really work those cases, you know, for their own mental health, you know, they, they, they have to kind of rotate a little bit, you know, you can't just do that nonstop for years and years and years. Uh,
1: It's a very limited shelf life for somebody who's actually doing that.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, people generally have to volunteer for it. They don't get, they don't, it's not something that you're uh, usually assigned to. You you have to, you have to want to be part of those teams and, um, I, I think there there is some great leadership. I mean, Microsoft for one has done a tremendous job uh, really helping to identify how you can uh, work in environments where you're dealing with it, whether it's this type of image or yeah. uh, or uh, you know counterterrorism related, you know, there's a lot of online uh, grooming and things. Uh, of, of, um, you know, young people. And so they have a lot of techniques and things that they share. Um, they've provided a lot of leadership for that, but, you know, this is, you know, I mean, again, good, good guys and bad guys, right. It's at the simplest, right. Good versus evil. Uh, it's a, it's a story as old as time. And, uh, you know, I, what you can hope is that you can take big chunks and and also i'm an eternal optimist right so i think humanity is good uh so these are you know even though it's an ever-growing problem uh more people are good and i think the best thing that any individual can do is is educate your family members
0: and educate yourself so you can protect your kids So you've been CEO for about two and a half years, is it maybe, or you wouldn't, you know, you've been with the, I'm sorry, you said August, 2019 is when you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's uh, so uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a fun ride again, most of that right through COVID. So one, one of the things uh, you know, we, we had a largely remote Uh, workforce anyway because we're spread around the world Uh, but we did have a physical office and we got lucky that our that our uh, lease uh, was expiring in November of uh, 2019 so we let that go and um, everybody's fully remote so it's it makes it interesting because you have other challenges when you're fully remote but what we do is those of us that are local you know we try to get together uh, once everything everybody was vaccinated and kind Mm -hmm. of Feeling comfortable getting together, we get together. We get together outside so far, um, and uh, but we'll do different uh, sort of light team events, uh, working back to what we can actually do. Oh, and um, but one of the things that I think, and I I didn't come up with this idea; it was already in place before I joined the company. Is we have a monthly roundtable meeting, and so we everybody in the company. It's 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 mandatory, but it's also something people want to generally attend. Yeah. Uh, nobody's nobody gets in trouble if they can't make it, but uh we just only talk social. So it's that it's okay. kind of a water cooler update but with everybody in the company. So obviously people have sort of one-on-one or sort of smaller team relationships, yeah. but we kind of get everybody in the company and they kind of roll through sort of what's happened in their life in the last month.
0: I like that. I think that's a nice initiative and I also like that it's just once a month because I've been reading about how there are some companies that tried to build like in the beginning of the pandemic, they would try to build in 10 minutes on to every meeting where, you know, there'd always be some time to have water cooler type discussions. But what they, people are were finding is that creates stress because. It's like mandatory it's too much of it it's every single meeting you know and i think i mean my theory on that is that you know the water cooler conversations were all spontaneous you know they were all you know they were not mandatory and you know it is uh it's difficult to to try it and and frankly i don't think it's really possible to um to you know to to enforce it but but i do like the idea of having it you know less frequently maybe once a month and just kind of having it be a social kind of gathering,
1: it's nice. And I, I'm not a—I mean, personally—and and again, I listen to the team, right? What tell, I ask the team: yeah. tell me what you want to do. But I'm not a fan of these sort of like forced happy hours. Yeah, uh, like everybody get on Zoom and bring your favorite drink. I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of things like that which which uh, you know I could I could. Take them or leave them, but I'd rather leave them. But I think that, you know, one of the things, you know, we're constantly striving to have fewer meetings, uh, to to wrap meetings up a little bit earlier. And so, you know, one of the things I think we've seen is as we sort of wrap meetings up earlier, then then people like, all right, well, so you know, then then it kind of goes into some water cooler talk sometimes. And if somebody has to drop, they drop. But that's been great. And I think, you know, the other thing that we do is we have. We, we really only have two other than that monthly roundtable meeting, you know, we have two scheduled meetings a week where not even everybody, you know, everybody's not on there, but we'll have a sales meeting and then we have a technical meeting. And the goal of those are just, Hey, share what you need, share what's going on that hit the highlights. You got a lot of people, so you got to roll through stuff quickly. And in the technical meeting, it's really an opportunity for the, for the sales team and the customer service team to, to give feedback to the tech leaders on what are they hearing from customers. Yeah. So we have everything in place. I mean, in terms of, you know, one of the things um, that we, we really try to do is we, I think we're a little bit unique in our industry in the sense that, and, and people are copying us, uh, companies are copying us now, which is flattering. It's also annoying, but it's flattering is we're very transparent. So we were really the first in our industry to put our products and pricing out front, right? We just said, hey, this is this is what it costs. And uh we won't really try to reduce the the, you know, people know, they they learn, they go out, people are smart, right? The rest of us buy. We know how we like to buy. We go research and then we and we go through demos or we'll look at the information online and then we kind of maybe we want to talk to somebody, maybe we don't, but we want our customers to have the opportunity. To just come through and have a frictionless sales experience. And I think we've done a great job at that. And but that transparency, like putting our knowledge base articles out online, support, chat, all these things really helped to streamline the experience and give the tech leaders feedback on what the customers want.
0: I think that's great. Was there was there any um pushback to putting your prices online? Did people you
1: know, we did it? We did it as an experiment, so um as you know, uh, I spent some time teaching at Georgetown as my side hustle. Mm-hmm. And uh you've been kind enough to to speak to quite a few of my classes, and you're always uh, a highlight for the for the students. So great thank, class. Yeah, thanks for those. Uh you know, for for spending the time. And I look forward to the time we can get back and do that in person. But the one of the guest speakers I had, uh she was editor for Martha Stewart magazine, and one of the best quotes. I've ever heard, she said, you know, marketing is testing, right? And, and I think business is testing. It's, it's you put something out there, you see if it works. And if it doesn't, you you pull it back. And I actually learned that from Google. Google, Adobe, you know, we were working with Adobe, which is very processed. Everything had to be just completely polished, The you know, before it would go out the door. And Google's like, ah, let's throw it against the wall and see if it sticks, right? And, yeah. you know, no, nobody really pays attention to all the products that Google has sunsetted um over the years (laughs) but because they have so many great products um so that's sort of the approach we took like hey let's let's put it out there and if it causes problems then we'll pull it back but it's it's been great and um and i think it it helps customers you know the more information they have you know the things that we've done we we put so first we we said well we need to get some webinars out there to kind of educate and this is legion but it's also just helping the customers yeah. get to know us and get to know the products better and then you know w- when you take a we had really good signups for webinars but when you take uh, a look at the recorded webinars and how long people watch recorded webinars it, it, it's like the first couple minutes and then like this mm-hmm. just drops and so we we saw that after you know somewhere between three to five minutes people get bored. Yeah. Um, and so for those of you that are still hanging out with us in this podcast, uh, here's the nugget. No, we uh, so we created a, a learning section of our site, which is only three minute how to videos. So we exactly. publish them there. We publish them on YouTube. And again, it's just about making the information quick. It's if you get stuck and you're you know trying to figure out how to use a, a feature or do something, you can just Google it and we're going to come up and it's going to tell you how to do it.
0: I think that's awesome. Yeah, and that that's something that I actually encourage a lot of my clients to do is is put is boil down your frequently asked questions from customers into different formats, different, you know, pieces of content and and do your best to to put that transparently on your website in a variety of places and if you do that, naturally your Google search results are going to improve. You know, there's no way around it.
1: Yeah. You're the SEO expert. So, you know, we bow to you, but, (laughs) but uh, yeah, content is, content's king. And I think, so it had a lot of natural, great impacts in terms of helping customers, helping, you know, and again, it's sort of self-fulfilling, right? The more you help customers, the more customers you get, right? Mm -hmm. So,
0: Absolutely, yeah. I'm a big fan of. I I also think there's a karma angle to it. You know, you put something out there for free. You try to be helpful, and you know, yes, many some people may take the information and and not become a customer, and that's fine. And and I think overall, it's going to lead to more of those customers coming in, and and frankly, being grateful that you were took that generous approach. So no, I think that's I think that's a great way you're doing it. So I was just say
1: you, you brought up a, a great a great point there about being helpful. And so, you know, one of the things that's sort of my mantra, you see it in probably almost nine out of 10 emails that I write, but, you know, the, the one, of, one of the things I've seen, like little changes in an organization, uh, you know, we, we we had people saying, uh, please don't hesitate to tell me if I can help you, right? Or please don't hesitate, which automatically introduces a negative. Yeah. And I just, I, er, you know, in almost every uh, email, it's let me know what I can do to be helpful to you. And the same thing, you know, really I view my role as CEO, my job is to help my team members be successful. So, you know, it's, it's asking them every week, almost every time I talk to them, what do you need? Is there anything you need? What can I do to help you? And along those lines, my boss, when he hired me initially Uh he probably one of the best pieces of business advice he ever gave me. He said, You know, you're you're taking over. And he goes, The the main piece of advice I can give you is if you need something or you want something, tell me. He's like, if you don't tell me, I'm not gonna know, and, and that's on you. But if you tell me and I don't give it to you, that's on me. So yeah, that that's just great advice because I think too many people in business are 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 afraid to ask the boss or afraid to ask their peers because they think they know what the answer is
0: going to be. Yeah. 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 I I agree with that completely. And, uh, yeah, I, I try to, and and the challenge I think that we all face as CEOs is that information it's easy for information to flow downward and it's hard for the information to flow upward, you know, to, to you, no matter how much we encourage it, no matter how, you know, no matter how many venues we try to create, it's always a bit of a challenge to have, to get information because, I mean, just mathematically, if there are 50 people in a company, um, they can't all talk to you whenever they want, you know, they can't all, I mean, even if there's an open door policy, there's only so many hours in the day. And so that in itself creates a bit of a challenge. So I, I think it's great to have that attitude of encouraging those, those questions. The, the other thing is I, um, I actually want helpfulness is one of the three values that are in our, that's in the culture deck I told you about. Mm-hmm. So for us, you know, we, we hire a core, you know, we want the people who work here to be, you know, to be helpful. And it is, you know, and uh, it, it's interesting because obviously, you know, that could be kind of a throwaway type of value. I mean, a- any value that a company t- puts out there, you know, maybe they mean it, maybe they don't. I mean, they all sound good, but, you know, I think helpfulness is really important for a company like mine, because we're an agency, we, we provide marketing counsel and services to our clients. And you know, they're gonna be asking things, you know, asking us to do things that that they simply don't know how to do or they're you know, because it's not their job to to be experts in it. And and I just think it's really important for, for us to really enjoy that piece of it, you know, to like if we don't enjoy being helpful, then you're in the wrong business. In the wrong business. Absolutely. You know.
1: <laughs> well, I I, you know, again, having spent so much time in the you know, yeah. in this in a some form of service industry. I love being on the product side, right? It's, it, you know, we still deal with customers, but it's a different, because you have a different release cycle. Yeah. So you can take the feedback, but you have a little bit of time to react. When you're in a service industry like you are, yeah. or or in retail, and, and I feel, especially after the pandemic, I always, I always thought that when we get back together, people would be a little kinder and you don't always see those. And some people are, I think some people really are, but I, I see a lot of people that just kind of, Still, you get out on the road, and it's it's just a little too much, uh, a, a, a little too much, uh, you know, anger uh, flowing through, which is unfortunate because you know we all missed being together, and now when we're together, sometimes you just see it's it's not pleasant, and I I I think a lot of the the workers on the front lines, whether they be in in healthcare or food service or anything service related, the, the you know the guys, the folks that are delivering are. Our our goods, you know, to that to our
0: houses and stuff. It
1: people got to be nicer to them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So tell me something you don't like about being CEO. Uh,
1: I I really love it uh, in the sense that um, I'm I'm able to help people be successful. the The thing that is probably most frustrating is is just trying to get the honest you know, truth from people. Right. And I think everybody that works for me is honest uh, or with me. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I, I think sometimes people are hesitant to say, Hey, this is, this is what I need, or this is what I want. Um, you know, the, the the biggest problem is just meetings. Right. And I'm not a big fan of meetings. I'm a doer. I want to, I want to spend time doing so. Yeah. I, I love uh, I, you know, I try to block time out to where I can actually, actually focus and get things done. I'm not a big fan. We, you know, we use um, uh, instant messenger type uh, solution. Everybody kind of says good morning to one another, or, you know, people are pretty respectful. If they want to have a call with somebody, they'll just kind of ping them first and say, Hey, yeah. can you jump on a call? Um, and and that's pretty efficient. But one of the things I, you know, that I, I uh, I'm glad we don't do is we're not constantly pinging each other yeah. You know, all these constant interruptions, it makes it hard to get work done. So I, I like to. So there's nothing I really don't like. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy everything. I just kind of probably wish I had more time for some things rather than others.
0: Yeah, I get that. And um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I mean, I've got a wonderful team and, you know, and and uh, I, I have no concerns about uh, about honesty and and, and openness. Um, I do keep pushing to make sure we're communicating enough, you know, so that, you know, cause I, I, you know, there are, you know, there, there certainly are instances where um, I think I know everything that's going on. And, and then I find out, well, actually that, that, I didn't have all the right information and, and I feel like, well, maybe I could have, if we'd all talked more, you know, or something like that. But, you know, I, I think that, that to me, that is, that is the balance is, is, you know, uh, uh, you know, I really, and I also really like the way you defined your role as CEO, which is to paraphrase. I think you said your job as CEO is to make your team successful. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And each of the individuals. I mean, I I want to see each person achieve whatever they want to achieve. You know we have a, a a woman on our team who is a a versioning book author right and so she she has a book that she's written and i want to see her publish that right i i you know i hope she's with adf for a long time but at the same time if she is the next jk rowling i i want to see that path for her right i, I want to whatever's best for the individuals on our team um i think you know we're i, I Think we're a little bit lucky in the sense that we the things that we do are mission driven. They're, yeah. they're it's you know, I again, I, my kids are all uh in their 20s, and and I I talk to a lot of their friends and uh hear plenty of stories about people working for companies where they're just they just don't have that connection, yeah. And for the most part, I think everybody. Uh, on our team is pretty connected. And if they're not, we know, we kind of loop them in, we help them understand the meaning. And the best thing is when you get that feedback from a customer that really says, Hey, we saw this case, we got this person off the street that was doing X, Y, and Z because of your tool. Mm -hmm. And we we were able to do it in one day or one hour, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Then people are like, okay, I understand like what I'm doing. I'm working from the comfort of my home, uh, or, or remotely somewhere where I'm helping, you know, Solve crimes where somebody's in a really unpleasant situation. It, you know, there's an officer in somebody's house in a probably not a very nice setting, and yeah. they don't want him there or her there. Uh, so we're we're very fortunate to be able to do what we do and, and provide service to people that are doing amazing things. Yeah.
0: So does that cut both ways in your business where on the one hand, you've got the mission driven aspect of it, which really helps because you are, you know, it, it provides motivation and meaning when you're to the work you're doing. Does it also lead to burnout or or are people maybe distanced enough from? Yeah, the, it, it's a great money. question. I mean,
1: we really, it was hard during the pandemic because I, I felt like people weren't taking enough time off. Yeah. Right? And, and even myself. Right, I, I I had plenty of vacation that I couldn't use, yeah. and I think that was the case for almost everybody. We ended up having to roll over, so we, you know, vacation typically expires at the end of the year. We just kind of kept banking it for everybody. Said, hey, we want you to go and take that trip that you were planning. Um, the, the I think you know the the thing that I try to do, and I hope I can always do this, is just trying to spend enough one on one time with as many people as possible, uh, e- even, you know, we, we don't have a big hierarchy, but I have plenty of people that don't report directly to me, but I like to spend time with them one-on-one as well, just to hear kind of what's going on and make sure they're okay. Yeah. Uh, so I think the biggest thing is, Will, almost, I think I'm the almost the only one in the company that doesn't have a dog. And so... <laughs> So I'm like, go out, walk your dog, just go have a good, you know, and go pet your dog for me and, and calm your nerves. So
0: no, I, I, yeah, I love having my dog uh, in my home office.
1: Yeah. Burnout's burn a real, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. And, and I have heard you talk about this on some of your other podcasts, I think, cause I think one of the questions you usually ask is like, is, is there a time when you just wanted to th- give it all up or you got in? You know, it's, it's interesting because I've been lucky to work with some people. I I, I know people uh, that have gotten burned out and I've seen it and I've, I've worked with people that have gotten burned out. And I've also worked with people who were able to that, that they were starting to burn out yeah. and they were self-aware enough that they were like, all right, I got to go Yeah, reinvigorate myself. And I think it goes to the point which is, you know, a lot of people ask themselves, well, what do I want to do with my life? And it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I've kind of, my career has been serendipitous, right. It's kind of like I've been weaving my way through it to, to get where I am today. And, you know, we'll see where I am in a few years, but the, you know, the, the, the point is to kind of enjoy every day what you're doing as much as you can and can kind of find the joy in work. Um, Again, hopefully I've been, I've been lucky to be able to kind of move, try to motivate myself and been surrounded by people who are able to get up even when they're having a tough day. And, uh, I'm sure probably a lot of your listeners know Mel Robbins, but you know, the, the, the five, four, three, two, one author, but I I think she unlocked the key to it. Right. Which is like, if you just start doing that momentum of doing stuff, that is a lot of times what helps you uh, fight burnout.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think of burnout as just exactly like a fire that you're, you know, that you've got to keep going. And, you know, you need change. You know, that's the biggest thing. You know, and, and the other thing you need really is you kind of need growth because if a fire isn't growing, then it's difficult to keep it from from falling apart in on itself and, and eventually burning out. So I actually think the metaphor of of the fire works perfectly because when you you know it you know you you know so then you need to make sure people have a changing job experience, one that where they feel a progression towards something bigger. Um and to me that really keeps somebody excited.
1: And I, I think it's important. I mean mental health is an extremely important topic for leaders to think about because you know we don't know i mean especially when we're meeting on a screen like this we really don't know what's going on on the other side of, right. of the 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 computer and um you know there there there's a lot you know people that you know at, at any company they have spouses they have family members they have parents they have kids you know so any you know especially when we're all in close quarters i mean it it's one thing to leave for the office and be gone all day and not have to think about it. But when you're there and, you know, maybe you're getting interrupted, maybe something happened uh, or or there's some tragedy going on, or they heard of some tragedy uh, going on that this can take an emotional toll. So um, I, you know, I I don't have any uh, perfect solution for it, but I, I just think that, you know, as a leader part of my job is to just make sure I'm talking to each person. Yeah. Frequently enough, and being—I think there's—you have to have a level of mo- emotional intelligence to what is what are the other people on the other end of the line feeling? And I, and there have been times where I've reached out to colleagues and I've said, "Listen, I haven't talked to you in a while. I just want to—I just want to get on the phone with you. Let's schedule—let's schedule some time and let's just debrief. I just want to hear what's going on in your life." Yeah. Um, and that—and—and and that's been—that's been really helpful. And people I find are appreciative of that because, you know, sometimes you don't have anybody in your house to talk to.
0: Yeah, now I, I think that's really important to be aware of, and uh, yeah. So that actually gets me to maybe my last question, which is, um, how do you measure success as a CEO in your current business?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, <laughs> we're numbers driven, right? So yeah. that's that is uh, one uh, uh, criteria for success, but and you could do it through new logos, either. But really, you know, what I look for. Uh, I, I think it, it it changes over time because you can you can kind of look at different things that you want to accomplish as a business. Mm-hmm. So it could be like, hey, last year we had a big push to reduce friction points, right? Just to make the make everything uh, more seamless for customers and for the internal team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me personally, my you know, what what I view as success is if I can help the people in the company grow and, and uh push themselves to achieve great things um i love seeing that look of satisfaction when they uh achieve great things and and i'll give you I love that. probably the most concrete example i can which is um we have a gentleman that that works for us that uh spent 22 years as a police officer and you know and a lot of those years he was in a digital forensics lab and so uh you know they, they the skill set that you have as a police officer or working in a digital forensics lab is different than what you have when you're in, you know, when you're running a support uh, line or you're talking to customers. Yeah. Uh, there's some similarities there, but you know, r- luckily we started this in advance of COVID. But you know, I said, "Well, we we need to take our training classes." He would provide training, um, but I said, "You know, we need to take our training classes and put them online." And we had a plan to do it, but it just was taking a while to execute. And so once, you know, we, we saw that COVID was a thing and we really quickly, uh, you know, I, I said, hey, can you just clear your calendar? Don't do anything else other than develop these training materials. This guy was not, I mean, he had done training classes before, but they were sort of like, here's some slides and I'm going to talk most of the time. Right. When he can really sit down and think about instructional design and, and build courseware, I mean, he, he knocked it out of the park and, that's awesome. You know, and that's driven revenue and it's driven customer satisfaction and it's driven new business. And that's the kind of thing. And I, I, we, I, you know, we talk and like, remember that time when, and like, look where you are now. And he, it's funny because I've been at, uh, I've, I've even been, uh, places with him where afterwards, like the person will be like, I, I know you from your voice, yeah, you know, from the training. I know you from your voice. From I'm sure you have that
0: probably happen too. I have started having that happen. Yeah, it's a it's a funny feeling. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that Sorry. that's really that's really interesting. And I, I love how you're you, you know you're kind of aligned aligned in terms of how you define your your role and how you think of success. You know, sometimes you know I'm, I imagine people would would say. I mean, this wouldn't be that hard to imagine. You know, they say, okay, well, I I. I define success as helping my people be successful, but I def- I measure success based on hitting our quarterly target of, of sales and, and, you know, this, that, and the other thing, all of which, which of course has a huge place in, in being successful each quarter, you know, but if there's a huge mismatch between, you know, you know, what your, what your stated kind of definition is and, and how you're measuring it, I think that that's also where, you know, you end up, Having a culture kind of get out of alignment, so I think that's great what you're doing.
1: It's all about that culture code and that match, and I think that's where it takes time. I mean, we we took probably six months to build that yeah. and really reflect back on what what did we want it to be. Yeah. Um, but I, I think everything's it all weaves together, right? If you if everybody treats each other with respect and kindness, and you treat your customers with respect and kindness, and you and you build products that they want because you're listening to them, you know, that they, that they need that are going to make their lives better every day that are going to help do the things that they need done better, faster, cheaper, that that's really success. I think the rest of it takes care of itself and don't get me wrong. I mean, my part of my job is to set lofty goals and to help kind of push people to achieve them. But, you know, at the end of the day, what makes me happy is seeing, my team members achieve.
0: So what, so, um, so we're at the end of the, end of the show here. Any other topics that you want to, that you, uh, anything I forgot to ask, anything else you want to, you want to talk about for ADF? I
1: I, I think, you know, the, you know, the, the couple other things I would just say that anybody who's, you know, on the road to CEO, you better love data. (laughs) <laughs> right. Uh, it is that the, the, you have to get comfortable with uh, financials and financial statements, um, however you can do that. I think the great thing is learning is all online now. So it's not about, uh, you know, go to Georgetown University, take my class. But other than that, you know, I think a lot of this content is out online. And if you apply yourself, you know, I think there you know, there are companies out there that really want you to learn their tools and they want you to become an expert. But if you, if you're on the road to CEO, you really have to get comfortable with data and understanding data and understand how trends uh, emerge and work um, and how, and think about how you can test and, 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 uh, and analyze those tests.
0: I love it. I Brett, thank you so much for joining today. It's been a great episode. People are going to learn a lot from this. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I appreciate
1: it.